God, I pray that you would uh, speak as you promised to uh, through your word. God, we all come here this morning with different, uh, different joys, different things we're excited about, different things we're distracted by, think, different things that overwhelm us um, and hurt us. But you know what those are. And God, I pray that this would be a place where we can find rest. Uh, God, that it'd be a place where we can um, be honest with ourselves, with you, and with one another. And God, that you would speak to each one of us exactly what we need to hear this morning. God, I'm so thankful for your word that you have um, said these things to us. I'm thankful for your spirit alive um, and at work within all who believe. We depend on you now, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Listen to this research. Uh, according to a fairly recent Duke University study, uh, they found that more than 40% of what you and I do, you know, the actions that we perform throughout the day, more than 40% are habit. No, nothing, nothing more than habit. And so think about that for a second. Almost half of your life is done with your brain sort of on autopilot, right? As you just sort of go through these, these motions of whatever it is you and I do, right? We do the same thing and the same way day in and day out over and over and over again. And if, if you're at all intrigued by this, I'd highly recommend uh, you read uh, Charles Duhigg's uh, recent New York Times bestseller, The Power of Habit. Uh, this is one of the best books I've read in a long time. It is fascinating and absolutely transformative. Kelly and I both devoured it and keep talking about it. This, I mean, it's, it's amazing the research that, that he brings together. He's a, he's a journalist, and so, he, uh, so you can read it. I can read it, right? It's not, it's not just written for people who are super, super smart. Not that you're not smart, um, but you know what I mean. Um, so basically what he does is he synthesizes uh, the very best of uh, neurological research, okay? So that's how the brain works. Uh, as well as sociological studies of just how people work and interact together to really understand the question uh, of why we humans do the things that we do, right? And the more that's been done in this, this particularly this research of, of neuroscience, it's just it's fascinating, right, how the brain works, such a mystery, and we're learning new things as humans every day, right, of, of how we function up, up here. Um, but one of the things that he, they found is that the brain loves patterns, Loves them, loves routines, uh, systems, rhythms, right, ruts. Your brain just thrives on them. In fact, they've, they've shown that when you do something over and over again, it actually creates an imprint in your brain uh, so that your brain can sort of shut down and just kind of go through the motions, right? Um, and so when you experience a cue, something that triggers that pattern, your brain just kind of goes, goes into it. It's not that we're not responsible for our actions. Of course, we're you know, we choose our habits and that kind of thing. Um, and, and yet, so much of life is lived in this, this area of, of habit. And, and the idea about that is, is the brain just has so much to do, right? Um, You've got, you got a lot going on. You know, you've got things to think about and, and just to stay alive, more or less to, to have time to, to daydream and whatnot. And so the brain loves to be able to take those routines, uh, think of it like a computer, right? It loves to minimize those, those routine tasks, push them to the side while they're still operating uh, so that you can have more internal RAM to, to think about other things. So essentially, the brain loves, loves habits. I mean, the easiest example of this, I think probably every driver here has at some point driven home from work or someplace you go regularly and been like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> right? 
you've experienced that, right? You know, and you, you, you know that you did it and you know the route and you can stop and you can think, but essentially your neuroscience, right? Your subconscious mind got you safely home so that your brain could spend the drive daydreaming about what you were having for dinner, right? Uh, I mean, it does that for us because it loves, it loves to do that. 40% of everything we do. So the question of, of the book, and honestly, the question of our lives is how do we break bad habits and how do we create good ones? According to Duhigg, if you want any substantial change in your life whatsoever, a big part of it is a change in habit. Finding a better rut. Okay, so now, now hold that thought for a second. Anybody here busy? A little bit? Right? I mean, of course you are. I am, you are, we all are. Uh, almost all of us. And frankly, even if your calendar is not particularly full, I'm guessing hurry lives somewhere in here, doesn't it? I mean, it's just the water we swim in together as a culture. I, I'm always in a rush. It doesn't matter how much time I have. I'm always trying to cram one more task into every hour. I think hurry is probably one of my number one habits, quite honestly. And it, it's exhausting. And I know many of you probably live in that same, that same place. And last week, okay, so we're working through the Psalms here, at least a handful of them. Um, Last week, we ended in this place of rest, right? Real rest, not just a nap or a vacation, but deep internal rest. The Bible talks a lot about rest. Jesus promises rest to his people. And yet it feels so out of reach, doesn't it? In some ways, whenever I talk about rest, I feel like I'm describing a grocery store at a refugee camp, right? You can imagine that. Like, where is this rest that you speak of? And we start, we start salivating together, and we, we hear about it, we think about it, we know that this book talks about it, and yet it feels so far out of reach. I want to go there, but it can't, that can't be a real place, can it? A real thing that I can grab onto? And here's my, my cheery thought for the day. Busyness is not going away. Not for most of us. It's going to continue to be the water that we swim in. Yes, you can learn better, better habits, and you should. You should learn better boundaries, and you, and you should. And yes, there are seasons in which it's very intense and other seasons where it's, it's less so. But for many of us, busyness is simply a way of life. And so the question we have to wrestle with, I mean, if there is no rest from our busyness, can there be rest within our busyness? Can we be at rest even in a chaotic world? So let me try to bring this together. You take the restlessness that's destroying us. You take the the research that's being done, places like the power of habit. And then we read Psalm 4 and 5. And we see something there, a rhythm, a pattern, a rut, whatever you want to call it, that we cannot overlook. If you want rest, dig a better rut. That's where where it starts for many of us. And Psalm 4 and 5 gives us the blueprint of this rut that that we're digging. If you want rest, dig a better rut. And let me just even warn you, before we like, get too far into it, what I'm about to say, what we see here in this book, it's going to sound ancient and mundane. It's going to sound old-fashioned, probably boring, maybe even just a little bit anticlimactic after all this, right? But here it is. Here's the rut that we see in this place. Evening and morning prayer. Oh, God, is that really what we're going to talk about? 
I mean, I can see in some of your faces already, well, this is going to be a waste of time. You've tried it. It's lame. Or you, you, maybe you haven't tried it. You just have no desire to try it. It's like, are we really going to spend time talking about this, this rhythm? But you want rest, right? I do. And I've tried lots of ways to get it, and it seems so far out of reach. If you want rest, you've got to embrace this rhythm that God outlines for us in his word. Prayer. Every night and every morning. Now, I realize some of you right away, right, I'm too busy. I get that. We'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. But the reality is, I mean, I, I, I know fully that probably one of the greatest enemies of prayer in my own life is, is busyness. It's hurry. It destroys it, doesn't it? And yet the reality is, the busier you are, the more you need this rhythm. The, the more chaotic your life is, your world, the more you need this rhythm. The reality is most of us are way too busy not, not to do this. And I know others of you are probably thinking, well, I just hate ruts, though. I mean, yeah, okay, prayer is important, but do we the rut thing? And my first thought there is, what's wrong with you, right? Because I love ruts. Those of you who know me, I, there's no place more pleasant in my life than schedule, like settling into a boring routine. I love it. That's where I thrive. I get that. So some of you are like, well, that's you, Nathan. That's, that's, that's not me. And I, I understand that. Maybe we are wired a little bit differently. But according, according to Scripture, what we see, this, this rut isn't an option. Not if, not if you really want to get to know this God. Not if you really want to, to find this. It's not, a, it's not an option for us. And according to the best neuroscience, you might hate ruts, but your brain loves them. Keep an open mind. Okay. I'm sort of ready here. Um, for those of you who are new or visiting this morning, we've been in the Psalms the last few weeks. Um, and the Psalms are a book of prayers. They're ancient, right? They're thousands of years old, some of them or all of them to some extent, some older than others, written over a span of a 1,000 years. And not only are these ancient prayers good for us to see and to learn from, but they also, they're, they're put together in such a way, especially these early psalms, to teach us how to pray. There's 150 prayers in this book of, of psalms. And these first ones are sort of the entry point to say, this is, this is how, it, this is what it looks like to connect with God. So Psalm 1, we said, it begins with the fact that God speaks, right? We're not the only ones talking. God has spoken first. Psalm 2, is that God laughs, right? God is in control. He is powerful and nothing can thwart what he wants. Psalm 3 was that life stinks, right? That sometimes that trouble is one of the biggest motivators to pray because we just need somebody to help us. And Psalm 4 and 5 give us the rhythm. They give us a picture, a snapshot of what it looks like on a regular basis to come before this God. And so this morning, our, our, our flow, our outline, whatever you want, is going to be evening prayer, because that's Psalm 4, morning prayer, because that's Psalm 5, uh, and then we'll spend some time, hopefully, in some practical ideas, uh, learning prayer uh, together. You want rest, dig a better rut. Uh, so let's uh, get out our shovels and start digging. Uh, Psalm 4, Psalm 4 is a prayer for the night. If you have a, have a Bible, go ahead and, and turn there. It's a prayer for the night. It comes out very clearly as the psalm uh, goes. Uh, but evening prayer, evening prayer, if nothing else, evening prayer is a prayer of surrender. Evening prayer is a prayer of surrender. You know, almost take a deep breath as you say it, right? Now, now maybe you're thinking, I, I thought this originally as I was looking at this, like, why did the editor start with the night psalm instead of the morning psalm, right? I mean, that's... That's backwards. Why, why did he do that? And, and I, I had the same question at, at first originally as well, but then I began to, to study it and was reminded that that's, 
That's our Western way of thinking, right? Uh, for us, our day begins with the morning with what we can accomplish, right? All the things that we can do. Um, but from a Hebrew mindset, it begins with God and what he can do without us. Uh, their day begins at sundown. And so for them, the beginning of the day is when they put everything aside and say, God, you're, it's all you, God. Um, we're putting it aside. Because at night, it's, it's all his. We say farewell to our work, our frustrations, our goals, the good things and the bad things. And for once, we let God be God for a while. So evening prayer surrenders. We see two things in particular that it surrenders in this, this song. Uh, evening prayer surrenders our disasters as, as well as our desires. First, our disasters. Big ones, small ones, the ones inside us and the ones around us. Look how David begins. Uh, this is in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Okay, so similar to last week, David is facing the messiness of, of his world, right? There's, there is slander and abuse, enemies around him seeking uh, to destroy him. He is being attacked. And as he crawls into bed. He names the brokenness around him. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't push it to the side. He doesn't take hope in the fact that he's fixed enough of his problems or, or stationed enough people around him to protect him, right? He names the brokenness because our world is broken and it hurts us, right? And he calls it out and he surrenders it to God. And even, even just think about it, right? We may not be in the same circumstances, David. I, I doubt any of us are to some extent. Yet, how often do I go to bed anxious, worried, afraid, lonely, uh, overwhelmed, angry? Have you been there where you're tired, not just in your body, but even in your soul? And something just, just aches. It's like, you know, the first moment you've had of, of quiet in your day, and it all floods in. And you feel it. You feel, like it just sort of begins to crush you, right? Even as you lay there, and you wonder if you're ever going to actually fall asleep. And you know, what, you know what that list is for you. You know the things that you deal with. There's no shortage of the things that crowd in upon us and our minds race. David is saying, David who is surrounded by his enemies, people who are slandering him, who are push, causing shame on him, tonight, God, I surrender it to you. I trust you to be God for a while. Because the reality is you can't do anything about those things when you're asleep anyway, right? You don't really have any option here. And so we let him hold our world for a while. We need the rest. And if we don't do that, what happens is the disasters outside us, around us, the things that we're dealing, the, the things that we're juggling, right? The disasters around us very quickly become the disasters inside us, don't they? Where they begin to take over. And sin and shame and, and fear begin to control us, right? And we become a person that we, we don't want to be. And look, look at verse 4. I think David is even kind of pointing to this here. He, he says in, in verse 4, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I mean, do you realize it's okay to be angry? 
I mean, there, there is real evil in our world. There's real injustice, real pain, real things to be afraid about. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't harbor bitterness. Don't use those quiet hours to plot revenge or even fantasize about it. Don't, don't allow fear to, to force you into a cowering position. Instead, David says, ponder in your own hearts. Just reflect. Take a moment before bed to look inside to see how those things are creeping in, how, how those disasters around you are, are very easily becoming the disasters that can destroy you inside. And confess your sins. That's what, he's, that's what he's getting at there. Bask then in his forgiveness as you drift off into sleep. Surrender every bad thing to him. But it's not just the bad things, right? Because life, life is also good. Oftentimes, there's things that are very, very good that we, we love and enjoy, and, and, and sometimes at night, those things also crash in, right? So even, I mean, you know, you've had those battles, like you try, you're thinking about something bad, and so you try to start thinking about something good, but then you start obsessing about the, the good thing, right? And anybody else do this, right? right? And I usually fall asleep within like one minute, and so this is all like, you know, very fast for me, but it still, it still happens, right? And I feel it. Don't laugh. I'm, I'm in turmoil. Um, <laughs> But at night, those things also distract us. Last night was one of those for me. I couldn't fall asleep because I was thinking about really good things, things that I was excited about. And those things, even those things can cause restlessness or distraction. And we surrender even our desires, even our hopes and our dreams, every good thing. I mean, the things that you want for your work, for your families, for your friends, uh, legitimate things. I mean, stuff you're excited about at the office the next day or, or the big game on, on Friday or, or your plans for the weekend, good things, just not ultimate things. And even good things can crowd out what's most important. I mean, look at verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7, David, as he continues, right, as he's, again, snuggling into bed, he says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? And his answer, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when the grain and wine abound. That, this grabs me here. Because what David is saying, he's responding to this, you know, God, show me something good, right? Would you just show me? And his, his response is, is the light of his face turning upon us. That God's presence is the ultimate good. So much so, and this, this is the part that for any of us, right, we find this hard to believe. David, David goes there, though, he says that believe it or not, that, right, God's presence, the light of his face upon us, that will give us more joy than when the grain and wine abounds. For them in that culture, grain, that's wealth, that's security. That, that's knowing that they're going to not just last, but, but thrive. It's, God, you're better than my work, you're better than my income, you're better than what I have saved. You're better than all of that. And, and wine, I mean, that's obvious, right? That's laughter, it's pleasure, it's satisfaction. It's, it's all of those things. And yet David is saying, even, even better than that, God, even better than everything I'm looking forward to, everything I'm excited about, all of my hopes and dreams, God, they're yours. And so at night we say before the God who made heaven and earth, you can have it all. I'm going to bed. You take the good, you take the bad, and give me rest. 
And we, we surrender it to him. And then we can say with David, to the king of the universe, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. You've had all day. Let God have the night. But now it's morning already. Sorry about that, but that's the way it feels often, doesn't it? It just kind of goes. And you wake up and every morning, I'm a morning person, and still every morning it feels like, really, again, already? And chances are, chances are whatever you went to bed thinking about and, and whatever you wake up planning for, there's a really good chance that that's your God. That that's the thing that's captured your heart the most. I mean, truth, truth be told, I know, I know for myself, when I don't do this, and frankly, even sometimes when I do do this, right? But certainly when I don't, my idols are what tuck me in at night. And it is my idols that are the first to greet me in the morning. They're ready. If you, if you want any hope of overcoming those things in your life, whatever they are for you, you've got to end and begin with prayer. So evening prayer surrenders. It says this, it's, it's yours. It's, it's an act of, of, of giving, right? Morning prayer anticipates. So morning prayer turns and, and greets the day with open arms. And that's what we see in, in Psalm 5. Because thankfully, God's been working all through the night. That's why you've been able to sleep, because he hasn't stopped, right? He's kept heart flowing in your veins, right? He's kept the world uh, circling the sun. He's, he's held it all in place. He's been working all night, and now it's your turn. Not to, not to supplant him, uh, not to, to take over, right, or replace him, but to join him in the work that he never stops. We get, we get a stop. We get to take a break, but in the morning we say, God, I'm, I'm going I'm to come with you. And that doesn't matter who you are or what you do, right? Whether you get paid for your work or not, whether you stay at home or you, you're a student at school, whether you're retired, right? You, you wake up in anticipation that we get to join God in his work, that we get to be a part of, be a part of what his, his business is. I mean, the reality is we all wake up anticipating something, don't we? Morning prayer pushes us to anticipate his presence and his paths. Two, th- two things there. First is presence. Because it's always about relationship, isn't it? I mean, with, with God, with our God, the one that we know who has revealed himself through Scripture and through his son, Jesus, it's always about relationship. It's not merely about duty or rules or, or even you know, turning all of this that we're talking about into this, this list of, that we have to do all these things before he'll accept us. No, it's first about the relationship. Obedience flows out of the relationship. So it begins with, with his presence, anticipating his presence. In verse 1, so we're in, we're in five again, or Psalm 5 now. Um, and verse 1 even sounds like morning prayer, right? It becomes obvious uh, as, we, as we go on here. Um, but listen to verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. That's morning prayer, isn't it? The alarm goes off. Ugh. God, why? Right? And I, again, I'm a morning person, and yet my day begins, most of my day begins with a groan. Whether it's physical or not, there's certainly one within me as my mind instantly turns on and begins to race. It begins to, to recount everything that ha- I have to do, whether it's good things or bad things, and that over, right, it just hits you right away. Sometimes it's joy, and sometimes it's, again, really God? 
And my tendency is to begin with, begin with my fears rather than with his faithfulness. Or, or it's to begin with my to-do list, right? Rather than with his presence. But morning prayer forces me to anticipate. Verse 2 here. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God. My king and my God, for to you do I pray. And have you ever just stopped and thanked God that you're not in charge? I mean, I know we want to be, right? Uh, oftentimes. And yet, have, have you ever just paused and thanked him? God, I'm so glad that you're, you're running this world, not me. That you're in charge of my day, not me. That you, you know what's best for me better than I do. That you, you have the power to be able to accomplish whatever you want in my life to begin God, you, you are the king. To you, O king, do I pray. And it continues. He says, O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. And what a remarkable phrase that is, right? The God of the universe, the one who, who holds it all, who with all the complexities of, of human life and the number of people there are, right, that God hears your voice actually hears it. And I, and I realize it may not feel like that, and often it doesn't. That's one of the reasons why we don't. We'd rather just sort of get into our day because we feel like we've got to solve all of our problems and God's absent or distant. I, I know all that. We struggle with that. We, we feel like he's gone. But he's not. He, he hears your voice. And so do you anticipate him? If you anticipate him in the morning, there's a chance, maybe, you'll get a glimpse of him during the day. Because now, now, once, once you've anticipated his presence, you're ready to anticipate his paths, his, his kingdom, his, his ways, right? What he wants for us in our day. And verse four here, all, all the way on through, through verse 10, really is just an extended way of praying what Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in verse 4, again, David is just, you know, he's stretching, right? He's ready to, to brush his teeth and make a little breakfast. And here's what he says. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. I realize those are strong words there. And it, honestly, if you've read the Psalms, you know that there's words even stronger than that in here, right? Because the psalmists are real people who are dealing with real pain, right? And they're crying out to a God who they long, long to intervene. So essentially what David is praying as he looks at the mess in his world, right? Risking being overwhelmed by all the chaos and pain around him. He's saying, God, would you, would you bring your holiness into my life? Would you bring your perfection? Would you bring your justice into our world? Would you, God, would you please... Take all that is evil out of this world. Would you remove it? Maybe do it slowly. Maybe do it fast. Maybe do it all at once. Would you rid the world of all injustice, all deceit, all anger and pain and suffering that we, that we experience? Would, God, would you, would you do that? Would you do what you want done, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And yes, they're, they're strong words. But the psalmist understands every day that there are two kingdoms at war. And we can't be naive about that. There's the kingdom of God breaking in upon us through his people, and there is the kingdom of this world that seeks to destroy, that fights from him, that runs, runs from him. And yes, yes, God, yes, he loves all people. Of course he does. 
And yet the reality is those who fight against him, those who spend their life seeking to destroy him, whether they realize it or not, they have every chance to lay down their weapons and join him or be destroyed. Because whether we like it or not, no matter what side we're on, God's kingdom is coming. And his kingdom is a place where justice reigns, where righteousness is seen, where holiness dwells, where all of these other things, the sin and the ugliness, all of it is, is gone. And so when we pray, we say, God, would you bring your kingdom now? Would you show us your paths? Would you make this world and this heart right? Because I'm part of the problem as well. It's not just those people. It's, it's in here. We watch for it. We watch for his paths. We watch, we watch for his kingdom. And are you, are you watching for Are you working for it? Right? Or for your kingdom or for his? Because this prayer isn't just like big picture, right? What God is sort of out there going to do with all of reality. It's personal as well. I mean, this isn't just his path for the world, but it's his path for us. Look at verse 8 in particular. This is where it gets really, really intimate, I think. David says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. God, show me which way to go, right? Show me what you want to do. Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to, to care for? Who do you want me to reach out to? God, how do you, how do you want my, my day to look, right? Um, what, do you, what do you want for my family? What do you want for my job today at work? Not, not just big picture. Th- what do you want now? And would you, would you lead me, God? I mean, my, my prayer time in the morning so often um, ends with me prioritizing my day. That's one of the beautiful things about beginning here, right? Because you, you, you begin to let him name your priorities rather than just the, the continual tyranny of the urgent, right? To stop and say, you know, busyness is not in charge of my life. Yes, I'm busy. Um, but God, you, you figure out what's next for me. And you, you take it before him and ask, ask the God of the universe to make your paths straight. And the, re- the result of doing this, well, live ha- happily ever after, right? Um, you'll never have a bad day ever again, I promise. Now, that's not the stuff we're shoveling here, right? That's not what we're doing. It's not it at all. In fact, even looking at David's example, there's pain and chaos all around, even as he enters into his day. But if you start at rest, start at a place at rest, there's a chance it might carry you through the day. Because David's world is in chaos, but yet, even so, at the end of this prayer, right, as he begins his day, here's his words, verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And then he enters into his day. I want that. And I, I realize that what we're talking about here, this is, this is hard work, right? This is, this is difficult stuff, maybe, maybe even confusing, but I know you want it to. You want that rest. We crave it, every one of us. And we may not agree that this is the path to get it, but I know you're desperate for it. And if we want to take this ancient book seriously, this God who we believe has revealed himself in here, and we need to take these rhythms seriously as well. If you want rest, dig a better rut. So morning prayer, evening prayer. Uh, and let's just spend a few moments practically trying to learn, learn prayer together. 
because I, I feel like we need to be practical here, because I know for some of you, you've been doing this for a long time, and this is part of your, your rhythm, um, and you don't need my help, um, and I'm okay with that. So go and, you know, be faithful with what you're doing. Um, but for a lot of us, for me, right, we need help. This is hard. Sometimes prayer feels irrelevant. It feels pointless. It feels boring. It's just, it's hard. So let's, let's get practical for a second. Let me mention three things to help us. Uh, if you want this, um, three things. First of all, stop making excuses. You big baby, okay? <laughs> Knock it off, right? And, and let me say, I'm, I'm talking to myself here. I made a list of excuses. It was way easy for me to come up with. Of all the things that I run to to say why I don't do this like I should or as often as I should or as long as I should or whatever it is, right? And so I, I'm preaching for myself, but you've, we have got... We've got to stop with the excuses. Yes, prayer is hard. Yes, sometimes it feels pointless. Get over it. This is the life that God has invited us into. And if you, if you want a relationship with him, if you want the life that he's promised to us, then you've got to do this. And even if you're not a Christian, but you're curious, right? You're curious to see if you can actually connect with someone outside of yourself. Then you've, you've got to do this. It's, it's not an option for us. And again, I know the excuses intimately. The first one for me is I'm too busy. We talked about that a little bit at the start. And yeah, yeah, we're all busy, right? And you're super important. So am I, right? That's what, that's what we think. And we all feel that way, don't we? We all feel how busy, how busy we are. But as I said at the start, the busier you are, the more you need this rut. Because if you're really busy, it's just not going to happen otherwise. Because everything else is going to crowd it out. You're too busy not to make this a priority. Second, second excuse. Again, I've used this one plenty of times. Uh, but I don't get anything out of it. Or at least not as much as I'd like to get out of it. Um, is everything supposed to be about you? Right? I mean, how narcissistic am I to think that I can enter into this relationship with that attitude of, well, <laughs> as long as I benefit from it, right? As long as I get exactly what I want from it, then, then we can do this, God. He's the God of the universe, and he invites us in. Yeah, it, you're not always going to get something out of it. You're, you're not going to get what you want out of it often, Right? Not, not the fullness of what we long for because we're broken and this world is broken and we're going to continue to cry out and continue to feel silence often, aren't we? And so you may not get what you want out of it, but I, I want to say I guarantee, I, I can't imagine that if we were to embrace this, every one of us, ending every single day with surrender, taking a moment, God, it's all yours, and every, every single morning, anticipating what he's going to do. I can't imagine that not changing us. Maybe not as fast as we want it to. Maybe not in the ways that we want it to. And yet, I don't, I don't think you can be the same person if you establish this rut. Okay, another, another excuse. I don't know what to say. And that's fair. Again, prayer's hard. That's why we're spending time on the Psalms. The Psalms show us what to pray. God has written out. He's allowed these authors to write out prayers for us. It's not that you have to only pray them, but maybe start there if you don't know how to pray. Make these prayers your own. Let them teach you how to pray, how to, how to begin to, to, um, to communicate to God uh, for yourself. Here, here's another one uh, for those who, who are like super spiritual um, or, or think you are. Um, and I've used this one, so I'm guilty. Well, I just, I'm just going to pray all the time, right? So I don't, I don't need this right. Because Paul says, right, the apostle Paul, he says, pray without ceasing, and so I'm going I'm to do that, which really means you're not going to do much of anything, right? Um, 
Because we've tried. I've tried that. Maybe, maybe you've tried it as well. Uh, and the reality is, this was Paul's rhythm, right? Paul was a Jewish man who grew up in this culture. This is what he would have been taught from a little child, morning and evening prayer. It's what he would have practiced probably all of his life since he was able to first verbalize a prayer. So when Paul says pray without ceasing, he's not saying do that instead of this. It's that these morning and evening prayers, that's what fuels our prayer. These consistent prayers is what gives uh, joy to the spontaneity that we feel in prayers in those other moments. I mean, think of it like a, you know, a text message, right? Yeah, it's your text God, right? Do it often, and you still have to have a conversation. And the way it's outlined for us, for our good, for our flourishing, is at night and in the morning, at the very least. Okay, so enough with the excuses. I've made them, you've made them. I'm sure I've probably skipped some or left some out. Um, but the excuses aren't going to help. And I, I know that maybe I sound a little bit preachy here, but again, this is because this is, I see the ways I've blown this so many times. Um, these are my excuses, um, and I want to be done with them. I, I don't, I don't want to keep relying on them. So enough of the excuses. Second, make it a habit. Dig that rut, baby. That's what we're going to do, okay? Because our patterns shape our lives. Whether you like it or not, the things that you do over and over, they just shape us. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Whatever routines you have, that's the person that you become, right? And we settle into those places, and it's so easy. And so you have, you have your habits, right? You have your, your evening and morning routine, so do I. And for some of you, it's, it's you watch TV until you're too tired to do anything else, right? And you just kind of collapse or fall asleep there and stumble off to bed, right? Right? Some of you, right? Any, anybody? No. Um, so that's what some of us do. Or others of us, you're still checking email, right? You're trying to get one more email finished or one more load of laundry in before you'll finally let God be God for a little while. And in morning, we do the same thing, right? For some of us, we wait to the very last minute to get up, right? And so, of course, you're in a hurry at that point. Or you're just, you're too tired from the night before to do anything meaningful. Or, or you're already on Facebook, right? For, I know for many of us, that's the first thing we do, right? Is, well, what happened last night, right? And we go to Facebook, or the TV's back on, or maybe you're back to email, right? Because you already feel, and I get this, this is, that's probably my biggest temptation in the morning, because I, I feel the day already pressing in upon me the moment I get out of bed. And so I, I want to I start engaging. So whether you like ruts or not, you have them. We just need better ones. And, and this is where the power of habit, I think, is so helpful. Um, again, I, I'd highly recommend Duhigg's work. Um, in that book, uh, but he calls it the, the habit loop, kind of the way uh, habits um, are formed and, and how, they, how they take place in us. And so essentially, um, I hope this is helpful. I think this is gold, by the way, uh, and it's all him. And so uh, hang with me for a second. But basically, he says, for every habit, there's a cue, a routine, and a reward. Uh, so the cue is the thing that sort of puts your brain into autopilot. When that happens, you begin to move into your routine, whatever it is. Um, and so it could be a person, it could be a time of day, it could be whatever, I'm hungry, I do this. It could be when you get in the car, right, and just drive home. You begin to, so there's always a cue, but then there's a routine, that's the habit. Um, and the reward is, is why you do it, right, why you keep going back to it. There's some motivation. And so every habit follows this pattern, cue, routine, reward. And the key to changing our habits or making better ones is to replace the routine. Because the cue is going to happen for most of us no matter what we do. Um, and we want the reward, right? We're, we're desired, desiring creatures. We that's, that's how we're wired. Um, and so you gotta, you got to flip out the, the routine. And so let me, let me just kind of explain uh, what this looks like for me. Um, again, I don't, know, I don't know if it's helpful or not. If it's not, ignore it. But let me just give you kind of an example for me. My, uh, my nighttime cue is I'm tired. 
That's it. I am not a night person, so my nighttime prayer is pretty short, quite honestly. I brush my teeth, I put my head on my pillow, and I pray. That's just, that's just what I do. Um, and Kelly and I, my wife, we've, we've done that routine together. Uh, we go to bed at the same time most nights, um, and so we take turns praying aloud uh, with one another. Uh, and by this point, we've done that about 5,000 times in our lives, um, which means it's, it's just a habit. It's not because we're more spiritual. It's not because we're so awesome. Or, or, or It's simply, I don't think we could fall asleep without it by this point, right? It's just what we do. We don't know how to do anything else anymore. It's just a habit, but it's, it's a really good habit. And yeah, there are certainly times I fall asleep when she's praying, you know. Um, it's, always, it's always fun when that happens. It probably happens more often than I realize because she probably just sort of lets it happen. Um, and there are times when she's not there and I'm praying by, my, by myself in my mind and I drift off to sleep. I, I used to feel guilty about that, but honestly, is there, is there any better way to drift off, right? Saying, God, this is yours. All of it is yours. In my mor- morning cue, because I love the mornings. I'm, I'm a big morning person, and so that's my more extended time for me personally because that's, that's how I'm, I'm wired. But my morning cue is a cup of coffee sitting at my desk. Um, when that happens, I don't think about it. Um, at this point, it's not like I, I say, well, should I pray today or should I not pray? It's just what I do. I, I've done it long enough where I, just, I don't know how to do anything else but start in that way. And again, it's not because I've got it figured out. It's, it's because it's a habit. It's a, it's a good habit. Uh, another morning cue uh, in our family. So I, I come to the, uh, we live close by and school for the kids is close by. And so I, I come in for a couple hours. Again, I love the morning. So a couple, couple hours, I go home, pick up the kids for school, and I, I take them to school. And they know it and I know it, that somewhere on that one and a half mile drive, we're going to pray together. It's just part of what we do. I, I think they'd be shocked if we didn't at some point. They'd probably ask me to, to jump in because it's just, it's just a habit. And parents, if you're wondering who is going to teach your kids to pray, I mean, you know that's you, right? Nobody else. Nobody else has that time and that influence. If you want your kids to pray, you've got to teach them how. And you teach them by just doing it with them. Now, part of me really hates sharing all of this with you. Um, really for two reasons. Because I don't, I don't want you to think that I've got this figured out. I am a fellow struggler here. Praying is hard. I have a long way to go long way. I hope, I hope you hear that. And I, and I, get, I get paid to do it, right? I mean, that's part of, it's part of my job, and I'm still lousy at it. I mean that. Um, I often regret how little or how shallow I pray. So I'm, I'm right with you if you struggle with that. And the second thing, I, I, I don't want you to hear my routine and think that, well, that's what I got to do, because maybe it's different for you. We're all different people. Uh, the routine may look differently, uh, and yet, very clearly, what's outlined for us, what we need every night and every morning to come before our God. And the reward in this habit loop, hopefully it's obvious, the reward is rest. Rest in here. Okay, so here, here's what we're going to do. Again, just trying to keep this, this time together practical. Um, underneath your seats, there are cards. They look like this. I want you to take this home. Um, and just try this. Start tonight and tomorrow. Um, so the dark side, right? Um, that's... Um, I don't know what else I'd call it. It's this side. Um, this is Psalm 4, right? And it looks like nighttime, right? And so 
what I encourage you to do is take this home tonight before bed, maybe with your kids, maybe with your spouse, maybe by yourself, whatever, whatever routine works for you, but read this psalm and allow it to fuel your prayer. Just spend a moment there. There's some reflection questions. You want to spend time on that? If you don't, that's, that's fine. You can tailor it for yourself, but pray these words back to God and surrender your day to him. And then in the morning, right, flip it over and begin your day with Psalm 5. Read these words, allow them to fuel your prayers, add your own words to them, and anticipate what God is going to do. And keep this by your bed or on your mirror or by, on your desk, wherever, wherever is helpful for you to be able to be, end and begin your day like this. This week, we're going to dig that rut together. All right, one last thing. One last thing. Okay, so stop the excuses, make the habit. But the last, and this is so important, please don't miss this, rest in grace. Because you're going to you're going to fail at this. I'm going to fail at this. We're pretty lousy at these things, aren't we? And no matter what it is, rest is going to be shattered in our lives. We don't want to create this, this rhythm and just say it's another law to make us feel good about ourselves or to know when we have arrived or I'm a good enough person, now God will love me. None, none of that. That's not who we are. We are people who rest in grace. And one of, one of the things I love about even just thinking through this conversation in the, in the Psalms, it's so beautiful about Jesus. I mean, think about this for a moment. The Psalms is Jesus' prayer book. Doesn't that blow you away? These are, these are the psalms that Jesus, as a child, learned to pray with his parents. That Jesus learned these, these rhythms. Prayed Psalm 4, I'm sure, at night at points. And Psalm 5 at points in the morning. There's lots of morning and evening psalms in the, in the psalms, but these are just the first two here. And that Jesus shows us these, these rhythms, even in his life, as, as he called his disciples and taught them how to pray. But Jesus isn't just our example. I love what the author of Hebrews says in the New Testament. He says, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And intercession really is kind of a fancy word for prayer. In, In ways that are entirely mysterious to me. That Jesus, God the Son, is constantly there before God the Father praying for you. Praying for me. He's praying for you when you succeed at this and you actually do it. He's praying for you when you fail at this. Because Jesus gave, gave his life for our forgiveness, for our life. He, he rose again for our, our hope and to empower us to actually do and become the people that he gave his life so that we would be. That we don't have to continue to, to falter and fail. And yes, we're not gonna, we're, we're gonna struggle. And yet he offers this life to us that you can surrender your disasters and your desires. You can anticipate his presence and his paths. And I know you're busy. I'm busy. I know this is hard. And yet Jesus, who loves you, who gave his life for you, he offers you rest. And that makes this a rut worth digging. Let's, let's pray and ask for his help. God, you know how inadequate I am to even stand up here and talk about these things how shallow I can be, how rushed, even when I stop to pray. God, we all need forgiveness. And God, I pray that in response to the overwhelming forgiveness that you pour out upon us through your son, Jesus, that we would embrace the life that you've called us to, that we would see these rhythms as for our good, not for just adding another thing to the list or another rule to follow or, or another thing to make us even more busier, busy, but God, a, a place of rest. God, would you remind us to pray? 
And God, I even thank you that you made our minds in such our brains, such mysterious, strange ways, ways that we are only beginning to really understand. And yet you've created us for these kinds of rhythms. Help us not to fight against them. Help us to make good rhythms. And be glorified in us, Lord Jesus. Help us as we come now before you. Help us to sing, to, to rejoice, knowing that you are the God who reaches out to us.